and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Hey, before we jump in, we kind of have a, a special day plan, but I just wanted to briefly share how we got to this point. Now, uh, we're one church, we're two locations, and we normally try to parallel each other at both campuses. If we're preaching on forgiveness here, we're preaching on forgiveness there. And every once in a while, though, we get the opportunity to do is what's a standalone message. And Pastor Chad will basically say, hey, preach on whatever you want to preach on. Um, and, and I said, that's great. And I've been waiting for this. And in January, uh, I was praying and fasting. And a lot of you guys know I'm, I'm from the Northeast. I'm from Rhode Island. It's one of the darkest places places spiritually. And, uh, you know, here I am. I, I came from the Northeast, grew up, was raised, graduated high school there, came out to Missouri for school. And now in my head, I always, I always thought it was weird um, that we just randomly ended up in Missouri. We have no family here. There's, there's no roots here. And e- even weirder that God would place us in Marshfield, Missouri. Like, what the heck am I doing in Marshfield, Missouri? You know? <laughs> so, and um, so I've always kind of had this thought in the back of my head that, what God's plan was, was to bring me out to the Bible belt, the Midwest, fill me with light. This would be my training ground. He would equip me here, uh, you know, in this, in this kind of safe Christian environment. And then he would, he'd fill me with light and then send me back into the darkness. And maybe we'd plant a church up Northeast or something like that. I've always just kind of wrestled, God, is that, is that part of your plan? Is that part of the story? And, um, so over the fast, I felt the Lord kind of speak into my heart. This really wasn't even something I was praying and fasting about, but, but whispering to me about this role here in, in Marshfield. And I was surprised that he started pricking my heart with, I want you to grow roots and I want, and I want you to stay. And because uh, that's just not what I really expected him to say. And we've fallen in love with this community and you guys are so incredible. It's, you know, I could, I could go on and on, but I'm trying to be brief here so, so we can get to the good stuff. Um, but, but then he, he, he started to kind of reveal to me that this community is safe. There's families who, some of the best families I've ever met. My, me and my family, we talk about it all the time. The families in this church and, and, and families with resource, families with room in their homes and land on their property and money in the bank. And you got love to give families of resource who are generous and they're kind and you love the Lord. And um, it, it's this big community of light. And, and I just, I was wrestling with Lord. If I just stay here though, it's just safe. It's so safe. Why would you keep me somewhere that's so safe? And it's already lit up. And he, and he began to sort of reveal to me that not so much to be the light that, that goes into the dark, but rather to start bringing the dark into the light that we have and, and to utilize this, the resource of this family in this church. And um, a huge part of that, one, one we're, we're kind of doing some of that with wheel fed and we've started in that direction, but I think a huge part of that is supposed to be foster care. And I feel deeply convicted that this church is supposed to be a, a hub. This church, one of the things we're known for is we bring in kids. That, that's what we do as a church. And so Chad said, do whatever you want this weekend. I said, I already know what I'm doing. I, uh, because, I, you know, I've had since we've done it, too, we've had so many it's opened up so many conversations with couples and people in the church and who have said, man, we've talked about it. We've been close. We've uh, I wanted to do it, but husband didn't want to do it or or, my, or wifey didn't want to do it, but husband wanted to do it or whatever it is. Or we've been close. We we're going to do it. Then we had our own kids and whatever it is. I'm just saying, I feel like there's some people you just need a little nudge and uh, 
If, and if you just get these kids in your home, you're going to fall in love with them and, and provide what they need in, in this season of life, whether that's something that's forever or something that's temporary. So what I've done is hand selected a group who has been, uh, they, they have some experience here. I, I think I shared every, everything I wanted to share. But so, so this morning, I want to talk about foster care and I want to challenge us as a body to be a church that starts bringing in kids. So uh, y'all ready for it? Yeah. All right. Our panel, you can go ahead and come to the stage here. Uh, on our panel today, we have Amanda Richardson. We have Emily Shaw, Abigail Griffith, my wife, and we have Brenda Haroldson. Can we give it up for our panel here? Um, so Amanda, one of the reasons that you were dropped in my heart to have on this panel is because you bring this unique perspective of actually coming out of the foster care system where you, you were a kid, you bounced around homes for a little while and you've shared your story. We, we heard it in full first service, but, um, I wanted you to specifically share your journey through the foster care system because we don't always get the perspective of, of the kid. A lot of times we hear the perspective of the parents, but I wanted you to share a little bit from, from that viewpoint. Okay, so my birth home was not a good place. Um, my birth family did not know Jesus. They were in drugs and um, alcohol. And I had four siblings. And, um, I, we were taken away when I was five years old. Um, my birth mom did not come from a good place herself. She had her first child when she was 14 years old, um, after escaping from a home where she was abused by her stepfather. So she had a lot of issues. I don't have a lot of memories of my birth home. Um, I remember it being really dirty, I remember going to the fridge and looking for food and there was old carrots and mayonnaise and that's what we ate for dinner. And, um, I have a memory of my twin baby sisters, um, sleeping in old fish tanks with rags thrown in them as their bed. And, um, we got taken away according to the paperwork. Um, the, there was a really concerned doctor because my baby brother was severely underweight and had a lot of, um, issues mentally and physically. And luckily he's overcome all of those, but, um, they were really scared for him at one point. And, and luckily somebody turned them in and, um, there was a lot of documented stuff from CPS. We were in there too long. Honestly, if you read the paperwork, you'd wonder why we were there for so long. Um, not having diapers or food and things like that. So we were taken away. Um, we were in five foster homes. I only remember the last two, um, the second to last one. I just remember being really hungry. I remember eating um, wet cat food and being scared of my older foster siblings. Um, the last home we were in was by far the worst and we were unfortunately there for the longest. Um, my foster mom uh, did not, she was African-American and she did not like white kids. Um, I'm not sure why she took them in. Um, so she favored the other children over me, my brother and another little girl. and. She was very creative with her punishments. Um, she'd make us stand in the corner all night. And if we fell asleep in the corner, she'd prop us back up and um, she'd put us in ice baths. And uh, mostly she would try to not hit us. Um, I think she didn't want to leave bruises. The one time I remember her being kind to me was because she had left a, a really bad mark on my leg. That's the only time I remember her being nice to me. And um, 
I just remember laying in bed one night and looking out the window. I am just laying in my own pee because I peed the bed and I know I'm going to get heck for it the next morning. And um, so I just lay there clasping my hands together. And I remember looking out at the moon and just praying, God, please let somebody adopt me, please, please. And um, I don't know where Jesus came from. I don't know if somebody planted that seed or if God just revealed himself to me. But luckily, he answered that prayer and um, we started having visitation with my now parents. Um, me and my brother were a handful. Uh, we'd come to their house and eat all their food. It was always about the food for me. Still all about the food for me. Yeah. Uh, me too. Uh, we ate all, I remember I ate all the muffin tops off of the muffins that my mom had made, uh, on the kitchen table. And I just thought she would notice it. <laughs> just the tops were gone. <laughs> so, um, and I think probably my mom, uh, probably prayed to have a cute little baby. And instead she got me and my brother and we were savages. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were wild. We were like feral cats. It's like taking a feral cat and trying to love them. It doesn't go well. Um, but luckily we were adopted by them. Um, I mean, it took a lot of years. It was a long process. Um, and we were just really lucky that my mom and dad had, my dad had, um, four daughters from his first marriage. Um, he was a wild one and luckily him and my mom, after they found each other, they found Jesus. And my dad went from being a very successful tile setter to being a, a janitor at a church, which was a significant pay cut, but he wanted to live different. And, um, in that we got to go to church, my dad ended up being an associate pastor at the church. So we really grew up in church. I mean, we really got Jesus and, um, uh, my, I have to honor my mom. She's in the back row. She's the lady that cleaned up because she has so many kids, so many adopted kids. That's the one with 11. Yes. <laughs> Come on, mom. Good job. Mom. So I get the two things. Yeah. The two things that I'd want to leave you with would be, um, the first thing would be if you're thinking about doing it, but you want things to be perfect, things were not perfect for my parents. I mean, um, they had four stepdaughters and my dad and mom didn't have a lot of money and, um, they were in a tiny home and my mom had no experience with children and, um, they stepped out in faith and it ended up being the best thing that happened to me. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to have everything perfect. And I promise you this, that your homes, I, I would think that everybody in here, your home would be way better than any foster home I was in yeah. and that it would be a huge step above my birth home. Yeah. So if you're thinking about it, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. And um, the only other thing would be to share that my older sister went back with my my birth family because she was older. She she got more of a choice and um, she ended up in prison and has kids that don't know her. And and I, she's trying to get her life together now. But um, I just look at her and I, I, I go, that could have been me. Those circumstances, if I didn't if I didn't have the circumstance happen to change my life. That could have been me. Yeah. You know, and it's, man, I so appreciate your transparency and your vulnerability and willingness to share your story and, and even the intimate details of it. And, and it's, uh, uh, some of it's kind of a morbid thought, but it's the reality of what some kids are in right now. And, and I just want to reveal to us as a church that we have the opportunity to provide a way out for kids who are in environments like that. And not every environment is like that, but, uh, yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. Emily, I want to um, pick your brain a little bit here. 
Emily Shaw is one of the most courageous women I've ever met in my life. Um, she has been so helpful for Abigail and I in this whole foster care journey that we've been on. Uh, every kid we've brought into our home has come in with lice. And the first time it happened, we're like, what do we do? You know, and uh, so like, I have some on hand. It's in the drawer. Just come yeah, here. just bring it. the kid over. So, um, yeah, I think you were quarantined and my foster son, Alex, ran to the store for you guys to buy stuff. He did. He did. Alex, you in here today? No, you he's at work. There? OK. All right. Well, tell him we love him. Um, so, Emily, you, you bring this unique perspective of, you know, uh, being a foster mom of 22 kids total. You foster yes, 22 12 kids? placement, 22 kids, 22 kids. Wow. Yeah. Um, and now you're a caseworker yourself. So you've seen almost all sides of this thing. You fostered when you were single, you fostered when you were married, uh, you fostered when you, when, when you had resource, when you didn't have resource, when it was convenient, when it was inconvenient, when you had room, when you didn't have room, you've done it all. We had nine, nine kids is the most we've had wow. at one time. Wow. <laughs> and that's happened twice. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's possible. Um, but I, I wanted to, First, have you speak to this church and this body? Why is foster care something the church should uh, pursue having a greater involvement in? Um, my simple answer is the Bible says so. So Amen. we should just do it. Glory. <laughs> um, Glory. But so you mentioned James um, 127, yeah. and that's a big one. And then also in Matthew 25, when he talks about, you know, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry. Um, and it says that whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Wow. And then one of my favorites that really gives me a lot of motivation is first John three, 17 through 18. And it says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Yeah. And so if, you know, we see someone that is going through a struggle or we see a need and we don't use our actions and do it. Like then I feel like we're not doing the will of God. We're not doing what he tells us to do. Yeah. Um, that's his word. I mean, we can become foster parents, respite providers, which is like where you babysit for foster families and yeah. the state will reimburse you. They give you money for that. Or, I mean, donate a meal. Sometimes we're yeah. like juggling visits and counseling yeah. and doctors and the, you know, make a meal or maybe yeah, they need diapers. It, or, instead of it being an all or nothing thing, there's other ways to get involved like respite. And maybe people are unfamiliar with that where like if, if foster mom and dad need a break, um, they can just drop their kids off for a night or for a couple of nights with you. And you can be certified to become a respite parent and, mm -hmm. and start with that. So that's another way to get involved and, and contribute to this cause. Emily, I feel like a lot of people, they, they have this thought. I've had lots of conversations with people in our church. And, and they're like, oh, we were, we were going to do that, but then this happened, or I want to do it, but he doesn't want to do it, or I want to do it, but she doesn't want to do it, or, or whatever it is. And I, I get, I'm fearful that sometimes this thought of foster care just remains a good thought, but it never ends up in our hands or, or in our feet, and we never take action. And I wanted you to take some time, not, and, and again, I don't want to berate you guys as a, as a congregation, but I do feel like there's people who have been prompted and this is in your heart, or maybe you haven't thought about it, but you're a perfect resource to, to bring this into your home. I want to challenge you to step out. Um, so, so I hope you don't feel like you're, you know, I'm berating you. Um, <laughs> but what would you say to those people who... Uh, you know, how would you speak to some of the common fears or misconceptions or the person who's saying, I can't do it because what, what are your thoughts? To um, so there are people that shouldn't or can't be foster parents. Like that's okay. Yeah. We understand not everyone can do that. Yeah. Um, 
But if you've ever had like the thought of like, oh, I wish I could, or, oh, I think that would be cool or whatever. Just, just do it. Yeah, just good. take the leap. There's never going to be a perfect time. There's never going to be a giant sign that says now is the time to become a foster. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you just, you just do it yeah, and you just roll with it. I actually asked Dana, I said, is there anything you want me to share or talk about? And he's like, I'm just here for the ride, Emily. Amen. Um, and I mean, that's kind of, you just take the classes. You, you have go to hold with on it. tight with this. One, <laughs> um, when I started, I was not married. I was, I think 23, I think. Um, I was a para at a school. I was, so I was working full time. Um, I was also going to school in the evenings, um, finishing up my college classes. Wow. Um, and I was a respite provider, but I was not foster certified. And I had a counselor at my school come up and say, hey, Emily, I know you're respite. Have you considered foster? I'm like, yeah, maybe when, you know, I finished college and stuff. She's like, well, I have a kid that needs a home by tomorrow. Um, he if he doesn't find one, he's going to have to go to a different school. And we really want to keep him here because his parents live here. And I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, this kid had, um, cystic fibrosis and diabetes. So it wasn't like just a second grader, third grader, you know, it was lots of pills, lots of shots, lots of checking blood sugar, lots of breathing treatments. Um, and like I said, I just was like, yeah, sure. And he came home with me the next night. And, um, I mean, I lived in a small house in Lebanon. It was four bedrooms, but they were like squares, like tiny. Um, but we made it work and I actually met Dana while I had him. And I was going through my foster classes and Dana would come over and he would babysit him while I went to my fostering classes. And I was like, this is the guy. Yeah, he's it. There you go. Um, and I mean, Dana would give him his insulin shots. Hey, for you me knew what and... you were getting into, man. So yeah. It's <laughs> good. Um, so, good. yeah, I mean, it was I mean, it didn't have it all lined out. Yeah. We and we still like. We got married in December of 2016 and we were like, we're not going to take any more placements. We're going to take a break. Yeah. Um, well, January 2017, I got a text from a caseworker that I did respite for these kids when yeah. they first came into care. And they were like, they need a home. No one wants them. They're going to get split up. And I was like, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> and so we said yes. And they showed up and it was a mess. Yeah. And it was crazy because they were nine months, one and three. Yeah. And, um, we were able to adopt them in August of 2019. Yeah. Um, so it was exciting. Um, but then, you know, a lot of people, they get that mindset of, Oh, I'd want to keep them all. Mm -hmm. I could never give them back. Yeah. I hear that. That's like probably one of the biggest things, biggest excuse I would say is I could never give them back. Cause, and and I don't know if everyone knows this, but the goal, the primary goal in the foster care system is reunification. So the goal is you are just essentially holding those kids and caring for those kids until we can restore mom and dad. And I know restoring mom and dad is something you're passionate about. Uh, I tell every single teenager, then I've told my teenagers this, you know, (laughs) if, if I can make a perfect world and a perfect life, I would have your mom and dad making all the right choices yeah. and you be with them yeah. because that would be right. ideal, Yeah, it's but it's not always yeah. ideal and it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the parents need as much help as the kids sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, if we can affect the source, you know, yes. then we can make even greater impact because you know, a lot of people say, um, 
oh, they must be terrible parents. They must be terrible people. They, you know, they don't love their kids. And yeah. sometimes I've seen parents that don't, they have yeah. that no connection, yeah. but majority of the time they do love their kids. Yeah. They just don't know how to take care of them. They and don't know how to be parents. Love the parents yes. Too. Cause that's their mom and dad. They right. should. Right. Um, and I think it's this generational curse. You know, the Bible talks about generational curses and right. a lot of times like our little ones that we adopted, their mom was in foster care. And you know, it's like this, well, mom's mom was in foster. And it's just this cycle and they never, they don't learn how to get out of that. Yeah. And they don't have the resources and the help. And who better to show them the love of Christ, show them the way life is supposed to be, the error of their ways. Like, this is how we stop. This is what we need to do. This is what family looks like. Yeah. Then the church, Amen. I mean, come to on. come along with those parents too and say, yeah. hey, let me help you out. Let's right. find better support systems. Because if they it. can't find better friends, they're going to always go back to those old habits. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. Let's give it up for Emily for sharing. I feel like we could talk for hours so much. Abigail. Um, so obviously you bring this fresh perspective on being new to the whole foster care thing and kind of jumping in and bu building the plane in the air. Yes. It's, I feel like I've experienced it with you or something. Yeah. Um, been a part of it. <laughs> so, you know, over quarantine, you, you decide, hey, uh, Mark, we're going to get certified. We're, we're going to start uh, doing foster care. Mm -hmm. So what, what gave you the courage to to make that leap and yeah. to make that jump? Well, I to each lady up here. I had conversations with all of them and they all supported me and challenged me to do it. Emily, you know, when, when I found out she did it when she was single, I was like, man, like she just, yeah, she definitely encouraged me. And Brenda, I thought she was an angel. We met for one time and she just shared her heart with me. And yeah, it Abigail really actually goes, I think that lady was an angel. <laughs> I think that lady. I, right. Yeah, yeah. I met her and then I didn't see her for a little while. And I was like, man, I, I don't know. It felt like an angel, a moment for me. So really, um, but so a lot of people influenced, impacted me, but honestly, um, when I was in college, I actually studied social work for a while. Um, and I felt like that was the field I wanted to get into. So I would say that desire had been there for a while. I just think with anyone, with any time in life, sometimes God puts a desire in your heart and you still are kind of sorting through it. Like, what is this? And so, you know, kind of put it down in college, ended up not pursuing that. Um, and then Mark and I are married, you know, it's over quarantine and this desire of being a mom um, has, has came back up. And for those of you that don't know, um, so far physically, Mark and I haven't been able to have kids. And, but I had this, this stirring to be a mother and I wasn't just satisfied and just waiting. And for me, Something that I love with God is, you know, an answer is an answer. That's something I've always said. And if, and if this is his answer right now, yeah. then I want to be proactive in this. And, and wow. if I have a desire to be a mother, I'm going to, I'm going to move on this, not going against his will, but trusting that he's going to do something yeah. through it. So, yeah, I love it. um, that was kind of, that was kind of the push that led me to, you know what, I bet there's a kid that's longing to have a motherly figure in their life, just as much as I'm kind of having a longing to be a mom. And so, yeah. um, I went to Mark, you agreed with it. And, yeah, uh, so you know, I was, and I'll be transparent. I was terrified. You know, we'd never had kids before. I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know if I have enough, like just, and, and I remember one night I said to Abigail in the bedroom, Hey, I'm just, I'm just going to go in the living room and just pray. I just, I just need to go pray. And she's like, okay, she's half asleep anyway. So <laughs> I went and I turned worship music on in my living room and I just sat there and prayed and Holy spirit brought up Romans eight fifteen, 
which is we are no longer, you know, fearful slaves, but we've uh, received a spirit of adoption. So now we call God Abba Father. And I butchered that verse, but it says something like that, <laughs> where we've received a spirit of adoption. So now we call him Abba Father. And one of my prayers is God, uh, like I, I want people to see Jesus in me. When people have interactions with me, I want them to sense you. And what greater way to show people Jesus um, than to physically do what he's done for us in the spiritual realm. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I remember walking that, um, through you and in the Lord, bringing confirmation and clarity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to go pray about something God's already told us to do, you know? So, but uh, Abigail, I want you to talk about maybe some of the high highs and the low lows through this. It's been eight months. You've, we've mm-hmm. had three different kids. What are some of the high highs been yeah. some of the low lows. Yeah, some of the highs. And um, I said this last service, but man, bringing a kid into, you know, none of the kids that we've taken have actually been in our county. They've came from all different counties. So this is, it has been a whole new environment for them. But to see our community just step up and love on them, like it has been, yeah. I know it has made an eternal impact on all of them. Um, so a high for me is just, man, we have felt so surrounded during this. Yeah. Never once have I felt alone. I mean, from the moment we picked up one, we had clothes on our doorstep. Pastor Josh helped us put together a toddler bed. I mean, we have felt so surrounded. Um, A high that I also think of, too, um, is we had our first placement was a teen and she actually tried out for the worship team and she made it. And I just think that's going to be something she's always going to remember, whether she she wasn't with us long. But, you know, I think God has planted seeds in her life that one day maybe we won't see them flourish here. But I think he's forever impacted her. So those are some highs that I just can think of too. Our yeah. little, we have a, a one-year-old and a two-year-old now and our two-year-old, she prays by herself now. Like we, we pray for dinner. She's Thank doing good. Like she, Jesus. but she wasn't doing that before. And again, I think it's just these little seeds along the way that are going to be forever eternal impacts on so, them, you know? So, so good. Yeah. Um, oh, I would say a low. You want yep, to go yep. on to Come low? on, bring okay. it on. Give it to us. I would say a low is, um, you know, when you bring a kid into your home, I think sometimes you think, Oh, they're just going to love us. Like it's going to be, you know, sunshine and rainbows, we're, we're you know, cool parents. No. Come on. <laughs> but maybe you have that view. And I knew that, you know, I knew that, that it wouldn't, it wasn't going to be that way. I knew that these kids, obviously this wasn't the situation they wanted to be in, but I think just remembering that, um, you didn't bring them into your home for them to love you, but for you to love them. And for me, that was a refinement and, you know, it's easy to love people that love you, but to love people that aren't reciprocating that, that's the kind of love that Jesus has shown us. And I think for me, he taught me that, you know, how often do we turn to other things when Jesus died for us on the cross and we turn to, you know, the relationship or the job or the vacation and we find our joy in other things when he was the one that paid and loved and did everything for us. And so I think it's a good refining love, um, you know, and it may be hard. You may bring a kid in and it may, it's, you know, it may not go as well as you thought, but just continue to love and love like Jesus. So, so Abigail, my last question for you. And and then Brendan, I want to finish with, with a story from you, but I think there may be some people in the room who, who are on that fence of, should we do this? Or they've had the conversation. What would you say to those people? To, to nudge them based off your own experience, what what would you say to that person in the room? Uh, I got five five points, but my first one would be do it. You know, I am not, I wouldn't say I'm an adventurous person. I'm a steady Eddie kind of just <laughs> do my thing. And this is something that, you know, I had a friend I was talking with and she jumped in and started a new career. And it really just inspired me that you know what? We can't just sit back and it can't just be a good thought anymore. It can't just be something I think about. I need to just do it. And you know, if whatever, at least we did it. And if it goes bad, whatever, but 
but God was in it and, and it did it. So I think just, just, punching just do it. This, this is so good. This is so and good. you mentioned last week, you said your obedience doesn't just affect you. Um, and it doesn't, your obedience doesn't just affect you. It affects the lives of those around you and the ones that you bring in your home. So, um, second point would be, don't be afraid to love hard and just remember to love like Jesus. And one thing, um, that I think is really, has been really cool in this is, you know, the, it says that the world will know us by the way we love. Right. That's what Jesus told his disciples. The world will know us by the way we love each other. Yeah. And, you know, I have a brother who's not saved and he's got to kind of see this journey of us. Um, and they actually also are battling infertility and he's kind of got to see this journey for us bringing kids in. And I'm praying that this is a way for him to know this is the love of God. Like yeah. this is not our love. This is the love of God. So yeah. just know that it's going to impact the people around you by loving others. Um, and then third one, I would say just use wisdom and pray um, before each child enters your home. Um, know your boundaries, know what you feel like you can handle, but don't be too close minded um, to what God may want to do in that. So, um, just have open hands. So um, we, we, we made up our minds. There's, there's one demographic we won't bring in and that's a teen girl yeah. <laughs> for multiple reasons. <laughs> and the first thing we brought in a teen girl. girl. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how God works. Don't be too close minded. And that's with anything in life, not just that's with anything in life. You may think, you know, what life's going to look like, but God has something better. So don't ever be too close minded. Um, and then live with open hands, use your resources. If God has blessed you, give it back to him. Mark and I bought our first home when we moved to Marshfield. And we always said, we want to use this home for God. Yeah. And we felt convicted. We had two empty rooms and our house isn't big. It was just a three bedroom, but we felt convicted. These rooms are empty and you know, we can fill them. So, and then don't worry, um, God will provide. So I feel like a lot of people are thinking that's another mouth to feed. Like that's another diaper to change. Like that's another, you know, but don't worry. Um, I wanted to share with you guys, Matthew 6, 30 through 33. If you didn't notice, the lobby is kind of all decorated in flower, this wildflower theme. And Amber came up with that idea and it fit perfect. Yeah. She decorated the lobby. It looks beautiful. And she came up with that and yeah, give it up for here. <laughs> but I just wanted to share with you guys this verse. It says, and if God cares so wonderfully, wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So do not worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So yeah. just use that as just your last little push punch, whatever you want to call it. Don't worry. God will provide as you seek him first. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and it's not, yeah, it's so good. Not, not every country is going to make efforts to care for the fatherless and the motherless. And we have this unique opportunity as a nation. Is the foster care system perfect? No. Yet, but we do live in a nation that's willing to help financially provide if you're willing to bring in kids too. And I think that it's important we take advantage of that as a church. So thanks so much for sharing, Abigail. Brenda, we'll, we'll, we'll close out with you. Um, you. You have your little boy, Levi. And uh, maybe you guys have seen Levi in here on a Sunday morning. He wears his headphones and he bobs at the worship and he gets his sprays on. And I just love that kid. He brings me so much joy. He has this awesome little personality and he's witty. Um, but Levi has had quite the journey and it has quite the story. And I wanted to close out our, our panel with you sharing his story and you essentially providing Levi new life. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were foster parents for a while. Um, and 
I had no intention of adopting. Uh, we were um, a traditional licensed family and we did respite. We were not a medical family, nor were we a uh, foster to adopt family. It's one of many of God's little ha-has, you yeah, know, yeah. he pushes you through there. But on uh, December 18th and of 05, we um, got a call that forever changed our lives. And on all of the kids that came into our home, I'm highlighting Levi, but I loved all of my kids. Yeah, yeah. Some I had for a day. Uh, some I had up for two years. Um, all of my kids were either adopted or the grandparents uh, came and got them. But Levi's story, um, we got the, a phone call and they were needing a placement for a 10 and a half month old little boy. And it was like 730 at night. Uh, they said, you know, immediate. So clearly they had been looking and we're in Webster County. This was Green County. Uh, so we had an hour. We went shopping, me and my four teenage girls. And uh, yeah, they love to shop. So that wasn't a problem. But we rounded the card up with 12 to 18 month old uh, clothes. We got to the hospital and sitting next to the nurse was this little bitty guy. And um, I always break when I think because it just takes me back. But his smile was just, and it still is, but here he was, this little bitty guy, and he was just like, you know, you can't see a kid with a bigger, happier smile. And we had um, some of the nurses were a little bit cooler with us, and we didn't understand why, but they thought that we were a part of the bio family, and they knew a lot more than we did at the time. Uh, but we took Levi home when there were some signs of, of abuse that were obvious, but it was the next day when uh, the worker called and kind of filled us in. And uh, Levi was born a preemie. He weighed two pounds, four ounces, and uh, was at Kansas City Mercy. And they threatened the bio mom with uh, abandonment. So she finally came and got him. For the next five months, um, he was alone in his bed, and it's documented up to 18 hours a day by himself. He weighed less than 10 pounds at 10 and a half months. Um, he had nine broken bones at different stages of healing and a cigarette burn behind his ear. And evidently he had reached up for somebody at some point because he had a bite mark on his thumb. And he was still smiling. He was so receptive to love. And everyone that seen him, the, uh, my daycare was right behind the school. And so I had teachers came by and of course his, his story spread pretty close through my inner circle. Um, he changed our lives, but he changed my community's lives. You know, um, people became praying for this little guy. And again, I wasn't a medical home, but our uh, foster to adopt. And I knew God gave him to me and the power of a praying mama and praying friends and a praying church. 
he had a pulmonary synthesis, which is a sticky valve. And at one time, his uh, uh, his cardiologist said, you know, he's going to have to have surgery. And my mama heart kind of panicked for various reasons because I owned a daycare. What's all my daycare mom's going to do? I've got four teenage daughters. It's going to be a month in Kansas City Mercy. What am I going to do? And I split that. Lord, I need you now more than ever. And uh, at that time, we were seeing the doctor once a month. And he said, we need to bump it up to two weeks. So we had two weeks to pray and pray hard. And um, and I remember this day like it was yesterday. Uh, he came in with Levi and did all his tests. And all this time, Levi's growing and gaining weight. And he's, he's doing great. And he is a ham. Uh, still the smiling boy. And Dr. Tong walks in there and he says, Brenda, I... You know, I don't know what's going on, but his 90% closure was at 40% today. And so, hallelujah, I just like, ah! And the nurses came in, because I'm bawling, and I said, I know what's happening here. God is the great physician, and I'm a praying mama. And... Um, that was one of many ways that God intervened in Levi's life. Uh, he had thyroid issues. He no longer takes medicine. Uh, you know, it's just constantly nurses and specialists would walk in and see him and, and say, this is not the child we expected by his file. Uh, so uh, it's, it's been, I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful every day. Yeah. Every day that God chose me to be his mama, you know, and he draws me to God probably more than any person. You know, I, I, and Levi's so thankful. It's my tissue he gave me this morning. He didn't want to come because he knew I'd be a ball bag. He said, he said, here's a tissue. I'll be praying for you. So it's relatively dry. I can see it. So I can see I... It. it is. You did good. You did good. Well, come on. Let's give it up for our whole panel here. You guys can be dismissed. Thank you so much. Worship team, I'll go ahead and close this out. You guys can just hang out. That's okay. We'll forego the last song here. But, but I just want to close out with this. We have a, uh, a table in the lobby where we can put our faith to our feet. Uh, maybe you've been convicted. Maybe you've been on the fence. I don't know. Um, but, but here's the deal. If we get enough people to sign up, we, this will be signing up for an info meeting out in the lobby. If you sign up for the info, you, we'll have an info meeting. And if we have enough people willing, what we'll do is we'll have foster care certification classes here at the building. So we're giving you, we're giving you an easy on-ramp, but, but this is what's written in James. This is pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. We, we, wanna, we don't want to just do good things as a church. We want to meet a need. And, 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 and the word says that real religion, the, the heart of the father is to take care of the downcast, the rejected, the outcast, the left behind. We are going to be a church that takes care of those. This is going to be what sets us apart as a community. It's We're not just going to come in and play church every week, but we're going to make a real impact in this community. And, and my heart is that we're, I'm just going to keep preaching this and pushing us to be here. And, and, and I really want this Destiny Church becomes known as a church that, that brings in kids. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. You're so good. Um, I pray that you give us courage today on act on what we've heard. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.